Uh, the favorite finishing move to witness. Uh, we won't witness it anymore, unfortunately, but it was a tombstone. It's a good one. That's a good one. I, I like how they toss the stone cold picture on there just to taunt you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you didn't clarify. Favorite one to watch or feel? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Out of Character. I'm your host, Ryan Satin. And this week on the show, we've got Raw commentator Byron Saxon. I'm a big fan of this guy. I think he does a great job every night behind the announce desk. But beyond that, I was really interested in the person that is beyond the character. I know that that's kind of my thing, but I really was, with Byron Saxon, interested to find out more about him. I think we see you know, the, the relationship he has with Corey Graves on TV and the way he portrays himself. But I wasn't sure if that is actually who he is as a person, come to find out. It is close to who he is as a person. But I really think that if you don't know a lot about Byron Saxon, you're going to enjoy this conversation. We talk about uh, his love of quirky museums, getting started in the wrestling industry, you know, WWE, ECW, NXT, Raw, SmackDown, all of it. We get into it. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode with Byron Saxton. Let's get into the show. Uh, I want to start this off the way I start off every episode, and that's asking you, how much of your real true self is there in the character that you portray on TV? I would say a great deal of it, because for so long, I tried to be somewhat cool. Um, but believe it or not, I was not the coolest kid growing up in school. I was not the most popular kid. And that kind of remains the case now in my professional career. So I'm kind of used to this lane. You know, you, you know, you know what they say, you stay in your lane. So I'm staying in my lane right now where I'm comfortable. <laughs> well, it's hard to embrace something like that on TV, I feel like. You know, I feel like you, it takes a confident person to be like, no, I'm not cool. And this is just who I am. It's not even that I'm confident. I just don't know any other way to act. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it's like if I came out here and tried to freestyle, you would laugh at me and I would do my best, but it would be horrible. That's just not me. I could sing Hootie and the Blowfish all day long. But Hootie and the Blowfish, Darius Rucker, um, I first got into them when I was 13 years old because they got hot like in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They had a pretty you know, decent run. It should have been longer. Um, but man, there's just some bands you're laughing at me, but I'm serious. Some no, no, just... I'm not, I'm laughing. It should have been longer. Cause I, dude, oh, <laughs> you're talking to someone to trust me. You're talking to the right guy about this. I love nineties music so much. Like I was at a comedy club the other day and the lady started talking about talking badly about nineties music and saying that anybody who listens to nineties music too often is like a loser. And I wanted to stand up and get real mad at this lady. Cause I not only love nineties music, I that 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 first Hootie and the Blowfish album is I don't know if it's the first one the popular one that had all Cracker, the big songs. Cracker yeah. Review, Cracker Review, yeah, underrated album. Like my yes. stepdad was a huge Hootie and the Blowfish fan. Used to rock that on repeat for like a year and a half, and I loved that album. So no, no, no. I'm not laughing at you. I'm more just laughing with you because I agree that that, that Hootie and the Blowfish did deserve. They, they were they yes. got the love then, but they're kind of similar to Limp Biscuit. I feel like people go like oh, Limp Biscuit, but Limp Biscuit rules. Yeah, yeah. The, my only regret, my only regret is I never got to see them live, and it was it was harder, you know, when I was a kid. But I don't know if you recall, Hootie and the Blowfish reunited a couple years ago. Yep. And they actually came down to Tampa where I live, and I was like, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord, I'm going to see Hootie and the Blowfish live. But guess what? It was like with you my had my luck. It was yeah, a Monday. We were, we were in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, that sucks. And, I, and I'm like, 
is there any way that maybe they don't need me in Saudi so I could see Houdini the Blowfish? But that was just an internal conversation that never made it to the public or else I probably wouldn't have a job right now. <laughs> but that man, I, oh my gosh, if you want to break my heart into a million pieces, that that moment was it. Like, take me away from the one chance. I, I thought they were done. And the fact that they reunited after like 20 years and then I couldn't even be there. <sighs> That's a shame. That's a shame. Softly. <laughs> so are you a big 90s music guy in general? Uh, yeah, I mean, I try to, you know, I, I, the nineties obviously will always have a place in my heart cause that's kind of how I grew up. Um, but I, I like so many different genres. I mean, rap, uh, hip hop, classic, like indie music. I'm all over the place. It really just depends on my mood. You know, if, if and I'm, I'm weird, like if I'm feeling down, I want to hear depressing music. I just want to wallow in my sorrows. So I'll go get some, like indie chill music so I can just sit there and stare at the wall and reflect on my life. And, yeah. I, I recently came to the realization that my that I wonder if like the music that I've listened to for so long has affected my mood because I love listening to depressing music. But then I'm kind of depressed sometimes and I go, yeah, well, maybe I should be listening to happier music more often. I, I've been in that situation, too, because I'll listen to like Mazzy Star. There's there's a kind of a, a 90s name for you. I love I love Mazzy Star, Florence and the Machines. Like um, those are groups that kind of really kind of get me in that mood to where I'm really reflective. But sometimes I'm just like you. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. Why don't I put something more upbeat? And the moment I do, I'm like, wow. I actually feel better. This is so weird. That's why I try to listen to a lot of Lizzo. She's a very real uplifting uh, oh, musician. Yeah. Real positive. <laughs> yeah. I know it's like more female centric, but it gets me gets me pumped. She's like real positive. Yes. Uh, by the way, since we're on the topic of the '90s, uh, and you're out in Cali, um, there is a '90s. Uh, it's called the Experience in '90s. I believe is a museum out there, um, and it's uh, not far from San Francisco. Is that um, where? Is Oakland. that the thing that you took Oakland. a picture in, where there was like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Yes, a throne. Yes, yes. So that's in Oakland, um, and I just—I'm a big museum goer, so I just stumbled upon it, and uh, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is heaven!" They've got—I mean, it's just everything you can. They got the '90s music playing, all the pop culture references, from posters and um, cereal boxes, everything you recall from the '90s. So, like, if you're a fan or anybody out there, like, I highly recommend it. Free plug to them. Hopefully, I get a free ticket next time I go. <laughs> Well, one of the things I feel like that I love that you do, because you, since you brought it up here, is the, all the stuff that you're going to, all these random places you're going to like that. Because like I've always said that one of my dream vacations would be to like get an RV, travel across the country, and go to places like the world's largest ball of yarn or you know 90s places like that. So I love when I see your Instagram that you're actually out there doing it and getting paid to do it since you're doing it for work, which is even cooler. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Blow my cover. That's the only reason I do this job is to go to museums. No, <laughs> no but I, I'll, I'll joke with people and I'll be like, listen, however long I'm in this company and whatever I do after it, uh, chances are I'm not going to travel this much. Um, so I have to take advantage of it. So I do mentally just to kind of ease the pain of the grind, tell myself, listen, this is a paid vacation for me, you know? Um, granted, a lot of these museum visits are kind of in and out because we've got a hectic schedule, but I, I always make it a point to try to see something just because, it, it, you know, I mean, you've talked to enough of us to, to know that this can be a very challenging lifestyle and it can be very easy to fall into the whole routine of, okay, arrive at the city, go to the gym, go to the, you know, go to the, the arena and then go to your hotel and repeat. Day after day after day. Wow, there's pictures of me on there. <laughs> you did your homework. <laughs> Here's my pose. <laughs> my famous pose. Um, but no, so uh, so I always made it a point. And I was actually inspired 
I don't know if you recall, I want to say it was in the early 2000s, WWE released a book uh, about road stories. And I remember reading a, uh, an account from Molly Holly at the time who, who talked about how she loves visiting museums. And so for whatever reason, I made a mental note. Obviously, this is long before I joined WWE to go, if I ever get on the road, if, I, if I'm ever part of WWE, I want to be that guy. Like I want to not only, you know, uh, excel at my job the best I can, but I want to be able to visit a local zoo, visit a local museum and just take in the culture as much as I can. So um, you know, it just kind of makes me happy. Everybody has their, their guilty pleasure and random wacky museums are, are my thing. What's the best one that you've been to? Like, what's what's what are some of your favorites of the wacky museums that you've been to? Uh, so one of the best is World War II Museum uh, in New Orleans. Um, in uh, in D.C., there's a museum Afri of African American history, uh, which is and it's like it's one of those museums, just like the one in New Orleans. It's so expansive, it's so large that a lot of times I'm going there and I've got 30 minutes, maybe an hour, and you need four or five. <laughs> Um, so I've, I've become very good at being the express museum goer, you know, <laughs> like you don't read the whole caption, you read one or two lines, create your own summary and move. You yeah, you're, not, you're not putting the headphones on and listening to the no, whole thing about it. You're no, just walking I, through it real yeah, fast. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I feel like a little too aggressive in the museum because it'd be like kids in front of me. I'm like, I got, I got 15 minutes right there. I got to get the next exhibit. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are two, uh, one of my favorites. So speaking of nineties, I was a huge Saved by the Bell fan. Uh, so at the time there was a, there was a pop-up museum, um, well, museum, uh, restaurant, yeah. um, uh, the max, remember pop the max? Pop-up installation. Yes. Pop-up installation. Thanks, <laughs> Ryan Seton. Uh, but, uh, there's a pop-up installation, uh, that, that was a replica of the max. So I remember they had one in Chicago and then they had one in LA and I made the one in LA and uh, it was freaking amazing. Um, I was so mad the, I didn't go to that because I love oh Saved by the Bell growing dude. up. And I, I, I didn't go because every time I'd look, it was so booked. And then it's hard for me to make plans like two months in advance. So I just never did it. And I was really mad at myself for not because it looked awesome. It was – I almost I – almost, well, I, I didn't miss a show. Cut that. Cut that. Yeah. The schedule ran a little tight um, <laughs> because – when they were in Chicago, I was like, oh, I got to make it a point. I got to check out this pop-up. But we had a lot of it that night in Chicago. And because, like, we run, you know, if you've been to Chicago, like, the, the pop-up was downtown. But the arena where we run is at the Rosemont, which is, like, the other side of town. Um, so I think the show was on either Friday or Saturday. So I, like, jet downtown to go see the pop-up. And it doesn't open till five o'clock, and I get there at like four thirty. I'm like, no, I only so have a half a, hour. I was gonna do yeah, this fast. Yeah, exactly. So after I had a mental breakdown, I was like, great, I gotta drive back. The only problem is traffic is horrible, horrible. So now I'm sitting here, and I'm like, I mean, I'm sweating profusely. I'm nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be late for the show. Didn't even get to see the pop up for Saved by the Bell. And I'm like. Cursing out, and you know, not really cursing out, but you know, just like speaking very bad thoughts about Zach Morris and Kelly and the whole gang, and how my love for them might cost me my job. <laughs> but luckily, I got there like just, I mean, literally, like as we were starting our production meeting, I got there just in time. So nobody knew what happened until now. Uh, now that I'm telling you, uh, but, <laughs> but it, that's one of those times where my like my museum obsession almost came back to bite me. Um, <laughs> And I'll tell you another quick one, too. Uh, Christmas Story. Greatest Christmas movie ever. Um, so I love visiting the Christmas Story house uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. 
And a similar thing happened there where it was like the day of either Raw or SmackDown at the time. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get up early, go visit the museum. And what happens? I get a flat tire. Oh. So I'm like, oh, no. And maybe this is really bad. So I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to make it to the museum. <laughs> As opposed to, wait, I'm not going to make it to the arena on time. So I was able to like get the tire replaced made it to the museum for like 10 minutes and then made it to the arena on time. And I was like, yes, Ralphie, I did it for you. <laughs> so wait, okay. So I want to go back a little bit because you mentioned, you know, being a kid in the two thousands reading, you know, road stories, books. I feel like just hearing that uh, you had to have been a pretty big fan growing up of wrestling. I was a fan ever since I was four years old. Uh, when I was four years old, I was, I spent my days, uh, beating up pillows in my basement. Um, I I was watching WWE Superstars Saturday morning. That was my thing. Like, at, so there would be like WWE Mania would come on at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Um, then you'd have a two-hour break uh, so I could eat breakfast and everything. And then uh, Superstars would come on at noon. So that was like my my Saturday morning every time, man. It was it was like a religious experience. And then uh, at the time it was WWE Prime Time on Monday nights and it would come on at nine o'clock. And I remember, like, that would be so stressful for me because my bedtime was 9 o'clock. And I could only squeeze out, like, maybe 5 to 10 minutes of the show. And then my mom would be like, look, they don't have to get up for school in the morning, but you do, so you have to go to bed. Uh, I don't miss but... being told that one. <laughs> yeah, those are good old days, right? <laughs> yes. um, I really, I should get to bed earlier, so it's, it's a lesson to follow throughout your entire life. But, yeah, I, that was, um, it, it's, it, I guess I kind of got it from my mom because – uh, my mom, my mom's Haitian. So when she had uh, moved uh, to the States, she moved to New York. And when she was living in New York during the 60s, she would attend uh, shows at Madison Square Garden. So she would see, you know, Bruno San Martino and, you know, the stars of that era. And um, I can only surmise that as a kid, like when she would have it on, I gravitate towards it. And I obviously took it to a much more extreme level than she did. Uh, but yeah, it was a lifelong, lifelong desire. Yeah, I feel like... Uh parents sometimes don't even understand how influential they can be like that. Like my dad too, like my dad worked in, uh, my dad worked in TV, works in TV and, uh, he worked on that Rhonda Shear up all night show, which was on oh. USA. Okay. Don't, 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 don't talk about Rhonda. Don't <laughs> talk about, that was my childhood crush. I, Welcome to USA's up all night. I got, I got to meet her. I got to, my first wrestling experience was, they uh, when WrestleMania was out here, she got to do like a specials leading up to it or something like that, where she got to be there interviewing some of the wrestlers. So I got to be backstage at that show and see it all up close, and it and it and it just you know seeing the behind the scenes of wrestling my very from my very first experience led me to to this you know. So I, I completely understand just you know your parents not realizing uh, you know the effect they'll have when they introduce you to something like pro wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's my mom, you know, when I was pursuing wrestling, uh, before I got signed, I was working in, in TV news and my mom to this day would probably prefer me to be there because <laughs> when I told her that I was actually going and, and like trying to wrestle for a living, it's like, Oh, my baby's going to get hurt. It's going to have black guys. Why, why could you just stay in the nice air conditioning newsroom, you know, the new studio where no one's going to hurt you. So, um, but you know, you gotta, you gotta follow your heart in life and, Did and you? you never know what, did you do wrestling before the broadcasting at all? Or did you say like, cause I know that you were working in news, but did you like train at all before that? Or did you just one day make the decision? Like I'm going to go be a pro wrestler or work in pro wrestling. 
No, I was actually doing work on the on the independent circuit okay. in, in Florida and Georgia. So um, I started on the Indies in 2003. Just okay. to give you a timeline, I started in 2003 and actually. Oh, you went tough enough on me. I didn't even get there yet. You went tough <laughs> enough on me. <laughs> How'd you know that? Wow, I'm impressed. You've I do my homework work. before these episodes. Oh. What can I say? Well, because I, like I said before, when we hadn't started talking, <laughs> I try to make sure that we're talking about stuff that like, I don't know, that that you, maybe people haven't heard you talk about a million times. So when I yeah. saw that, I was like, we're going to bring up tough enough, obviously. Oh, so that's appropriate because that, as, as you see, it says Jacksonville, Florida. That's where I was working. I was working for WJ. JXT, uh, Channel 4 News in Jacksonville. Uh, but just to backtrack, so I started on the Indies in 2003. Um, I just started kind of helping out behind the scenes, and that turned to me doing interviews, which uh, ended up, you know, with me actually wrestling. So I was doing uh, basically three different things. I would help out behind the scenes on the Indies. I would uh, I would ring announce, and I would wrestle, like, depending on the show. Um, but I always knew, obviously, the goal was to, to make it a WWE. So as I'm getting experience, like I already had started sending in tapes and Tough Enough was an example. Like I was uh, at the time that I sent in that tape, I was actually working as a production assistant at the news station. And I heard about the Tough Enough tryout. So I sent the tape in and this was probably the third time I had sent a tape to WWE by the time Tough Enough came around. And I remember they called me and they're like, yeah, yeah, we love your audition tape. We want you to come out. And I'm thinking, yes, this is my chance. Um, I, I finally get to like make it to WWE and live my dream. And uh, they flew us out to Venice Beach, California. Um, a lot of notable names were out there. The Miz, obviously the most popular name uh, that was uh, at that tryout. Uh, the Boogeyman, um, uh, Luke Gallows. Like yeah, I was gonna say they show Luke guys. Gallows right before you in the in the package that aired on SmackDown. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was it was an interesting experience. It was a two day tryout on the beach. And I, I actually did it half blind because at the time I was wearing contacts and for whatever reason, my eyes were messed up. And I was like, I, I guess I had like a slight infection in the eye. And so I had the masterful idea of going, okay, since I know my eyes going to like be infected with this contact, I'm going to wear one contact uh, per day. <laughs> so I'm just, so if I make it to the second day of the tryout, at least I got one good eye. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, I didn't make it to the second day. It says how well I did. Uh, but man, that first day, dude, I mean, you're running on the beach. You got, they had like this drill sergeant guy yelling at us. I got sand in my eye, both eyes. So I'm already half blind. Now I can barely see a thing. I got Bill DeMont going nuts. So it was, so it, was uh, it, it was a memorable experience. It was heartbreaking in the sense that I, I, you know, you went in thinking, okay, this is my chance. And it wasn't. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I kept grinding on the Indies. I had, um, actually had another tryout uh, after that. Um, which didn't pan out. And uh, eventually I just happened to be working an indie show. And coincidentally, um, I ran into Bill DeMott there. And he had just left the company. And he remembered me from, from my previous tryout attempts. And uh, he was like, here, send me your stuff. And uh, funny enough, um, I got a message on MySpace. From, to give you a time frame someone. here, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Old school, MySpace. Tom was my best friend. And... Uh, I got a message from someone uh, who was uh, working uh, as a production assistant with the company. And they said, hey, uh, we looked at your stuff. We want to take another look at you. Um, can you come up to Atlanta? I think it was the Unforgiven pay-per-view, maybe. And that's what got the ball rolling. But to answer your 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 question uh, in long story form, which I will shorten it up. Yes, I 
did have experience before I got signed. Well, did you? Okay, so then when you joined FCW, I know you were doing wrestling. You you know you were still doing the in ring stuff, but you were kind of going back and forth. Like you, you were trying out different things. You were kind of a manager. You were an announcer. You were a wrestler. Who first brought up the idea of you becoming an announcer at FCW? Uh, that was Dusty Rhodes. We we started. So I got signed in September of two thousand seven at FCW, and we started doing TV. I believe in two thousand eight. And that's when Dusty approached me and said, like, hey, baby, we won't have you do commentary. Uh, we won't have you do commentary. We're going to have you manage a little bit. But uh, I want you I want you to really hone your craft uh, behind the microphone, if you will. It's a terrible impersonation, but the best I can do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was Dusty's idea. Um, so and I, I loved it because I I guess maybe I, I, I don't know if I get bored easily or whatnot, but I love doing a variety of things. I feel like it just kind of keeps my energy level up. It keeps me engaged. So on any given show uh, for FCW or even our non-televised shows, I would be wrestling. I would be doing commentary. I could be ring announcing. I would be managing. Um, at the time, I had a stable known as the uh, the conglomerate, the Saxton conglomerate. So, uh, so I enjoyed like all those different roles. And I felt like all in all, it just made me a, a, a better performer in the long run because I was able to see every aspect of the business. Were you, I mean, once you started doing the announcing, did you fall in love with it right away and kind of want to do that more? Or were you, was your heart still in the ring at the time? I, I loved it. I mean, even on the indies, I was doing some commentary. So I, I always had it like the, the desire to perform never went away. Um, I don't think it ever goes away if you've been in the ring. But uh, but yeah, as much as I loved announcing, I still wanted to be out there. I still I still wanted to be able to kind of evoke those emotions from the fans inside the ring. Um, but I you know, I mean, I look back on FCW so fondly because it was such a great chance for all of us to grow. It's sort of like um, I would equate it to going to college. You know, a lot of times they say going to college is not just about getting your education, but it's about finding out who you are, who you are in the face of adversity, who you are in terms of your skill set. And who you are when you're away just from the comfort zone of being at home. So um, that experience on so many different levels just helped me kind of find myself a little bit. You know, I was talking to someone recently, you know, young, younger dude who is in the industry. And he was talking about how, you know, he, um, you know, he wants to do what you do one day. And so I was wondering, like, do you think that your work on the indies was what got you to, you know, in the door with WWE? Or do you think that the broadcasting work you did was 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 important as well or do you think it was a mix of the two that kind of got you in the door it was a mix of the two because when i sent in my audition tape i literally had highlights from me um you know because when i was in tv news i was a field reporter i did news sports and, and, and traffic in studio um i anchored so i had i had a little bit of everything on there i had me ring announcing on the indies i had me doing commentary on the indies i had me wrestling i had me doing the news so i think the fact that they saw someone who had tried multiple times to make it to the company. And then during that time frame, never stopped, like continued gaining experience, whether it was wrestling experience, whether it's broadcasting experience, but there was constant forward motion in my life. So I, I definitely, without a doubt, believe that's what helped me get in the door. Well, I'm going to send him that clip so that he can see this now. Cause he's going to, what's his name? Yeah. Uh, his name's Jordan. Jordan. That's your advice <laughs> as to how to make it to WWE. How to, Break through that door, courtesy uh, of Byron Sachs. Break uh, it. <laughs> what do you remember most about your first time announcing for the ECW brand? So scared to death, scared to death. Um, I talked about finding myself in FCW. I, there's, I've had to find myself in WWE as well because I remember um, 
when I first got called up in 2009 to ECW, you know, you, you just want to do a good job. And so it was a natural tendency probably to a fault of mine to go, okay, let me try to be like this person because that's who they have had here in the past. Let me try and announce like that person. Um, so I, I was really, um, I was so thankful to have the chance to be on there, but man, like every week was just so nerve wracking. Cause I just, I just didn't want to mess up. And, and by trying so hard, like not to mess up, I wasn't comfortable. Uh, and I wasn't able to tap into who I am. That mentality. God, I totally understand that. I feel that way with this sometimes where I'm like, I really don't want to mess up on like a good question I had or like don't want to mess up a fact that a bunch of wrestling fans are going to be like, well, he got that date wrong or he got that show wrong. And then I end up getting in my head and messing things up. So I, I completely understand that. And I feel like, God, this is on YouTube. It's a lot different than being on national TV with millions of wrestling fans ready to just attack at all times. Yeah, yeah. And, and and even before ECW, not a lot of people know this. Um, and I still to this day don't understand what exactly happened. But probably even less than a year before that, I got a call saying that I was going to make my debut as an announcer. And I remember, I, I think I was at the gym or something, so I missed the call. Uh, and But I heard the voicemail. It's like, hey, Byron, yeah, uh, congratulations. You're going to make your debut at Class of Champions uh, as an announcer. And I'm like, all right, here we go. So I called back travel. I'm like, hey, I uh, just got your voicemail. Just wanted to confirm the details. <laughs> and I get in response, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, no, 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 I got a voicemail. Like, you guys called me. So I'm coming on the road. It's like, I, I, we didn't call you. And I'm like, hold up. And, and like, and the person who was on the phone with me, I knew it was her voice. Like, I, I, I knew I was talking to the right person. And so I called Dr. Tom, uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard, who was one of the head trainers at FCW at the time. My Tom, Doc, like I, I just got a call that I'm going on the road, but I, I called the travel department and they're telling me they know nothing about it. And he's like, well, Byron, just, just have your bag packed just in case. As calm as can be. Well, I'm, I'm freaking out going, am I, am I getting called up or not? So nothing ever happened after that. <laughs> so to this day, to this day, I don't know why I got that call. I don't know why I was told that I was, you know, going to make my debut on the road. And it just, I, I felt like maybe I'm the crazy one here. Maybe I'm, maybe it was just one lucid dream or something that... <laughs> Do you think now, all these years later, do you think that maybe someone did prank call you? No, because I know who it was. Like I spoke to that person on the phone. That's the crazy thing. It was their number. Like, is so it possible just, that they changed their mind and they just tried to like be like, well, don't know where no. Maybe. Did anyone maybe else get call called up for commentary sh around that time? Not I well, let's see, and I tried to piece it together, not at the exact time, but I thought. That, I thought maybe that was the case. Like they accidentally called me and accidentally said my name when it was supposed to be somebody else. But I was like, man, I mean, way to just dangle the carrot. That would, that would, that way. would drive me crazy. That would drive me absolutely crazy. I, I've had stuff. I've had a thing or two happen like that too, where it's like, all right, we're gonna call you like all good and then i just never heard from them again and you're just left wondering yeah. like what happened i don't understand i thought everything was all good i was over here stoked what what's yeah. going on well thankfully it all worked out for you so you still got called up and and it worked out just fine i think it actually prepared me because i've had so many ups and downs and things given to me and taken away so i think uh in retrospect it was good that that happened because it's allowed me to just really 
uh, embrace the moment of whatever opportunity comes my way and understand it could end tomorrow and cool, whatever, but I'm blessed to have it now and I'm just going to live it up. So were you, you never know how heartbreaks are going to help you out in the future. They all, they all, as terrible as they are, they always end up helping you in the future. Like my fiance and I, we were laughing yesterday. We were watching some dumb reality show and, uh, one of the girls on the show is like, I don't know, in her early 20s or something like that. And she was so sad about something that she like went to the beach to go sing to herself on her acoustic guitar. And we were like, well, I remember those days. But the, they always end up <laughs> coming back to help you in the end. You're like, oh, man, I was way too depressed about that thing, you know? So uh -huh. yep. uh, I totally get that. Well, by the time you got to NXT and we're doing the announcing with NXT when the rebrand had happened, um, were you a little more comfortable with your voice on air at that point? Like with the, you know, finding yourself? Yes. Um, and it's just, uh, there's been so many kind of twists and turns. Like I'll, when an FCW, you know, I was, I was, you know, kind of playing more of the heelish guy. So I would kind of translate that into commentary. And then I started becoming more centralized and more of the straight face commentator. And then in NXT, same thing. I did play by play. I did color. So I was always wearing these different hats. So there's always, in an adjustment period here and there, but I, I was more comfortable uh, just because, you know, you're having, having been in the developmental system at the time for as long as I had been, you're so comfortable with the guys and girls that you're working with. Uh, and so, you know, you just kind of, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, we're, we're growing together. And the more the NXT audience was growing, it's like, you know, our team is getting more recognition. So it was just a joy to be part of that team. And so there was a certain amount of pride that came with that as well. And that pride, of course, aided the comfort level. Well, I'm sure, too, like now in retrospect, you know, with everything you just mentioned right there, it has to be it has to feel a sense of pride, kind of like you had said, that you were part of something that now, like even through the changes and whatever, really was special to the industry. I mean, there's people now who are starting in WWE that say that they started watching wrestling because of things that happened at the early stages of NXT and I go like, wow, like that's so crazy to see that this little small thing that grew into this big thing was so influential in such a short amount of time. It's so wild to me. Um, there was a picture circulating online a few weeks ago from FCW. It was a photo that was taken, I believe in 2008, so a year after I signed. And there's probably, I don't know, 40, 50 guys and girls in this photo. And out of all those guys and girls, there's probably maybe five or six of us left in the company right now. Crazy. And uh, but that kind of puts it into perspective, you know, from the days of just working out in this hot warehouse with no air conditioning, surrounded by canned food and FCW to then uh, there was a time where the building was actually renovated and became state of the art at the time. And I remember guys who came over from OVW were like, man, this FCW, we, we wish we had this. And then now we look back at FCW, look at the performance center, and we're going, man, we wish we had this in FCW. Uh, but it really is, it's, it's true. It was a true blessing for me just to see how many stages I've been able to be a part of and to see how many, you know, uh, guys and girls that I've, I've seen start from the beginning become huge superstars. Like being able to say, hey, I was there when Charlotte Flair first walked in the door. I was there when Roman Reigns first walked in the door. And, I, and I've seen their career progress from that warehouse to be some of the biggest stars in our industry. So I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky and I'm very blessed in that sense. 
Yeah, I feel like the if there was like a family tree of NXT throughout the wrestling industry, the, the roots would go so far now because of everyone, all the successes everyone has had and the things they've moved on to and the people they've trained. I feel like and, and, th- and you know, in the next 10, 15 years, it's only going to grow bigger, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, it, it's nuts. It's I'll, I'll do live events and the thing that trips me out never fails. I'll have I'll have a little kid that comes up to me. He's like, I used to watch you on NXT. I'm like. Where we're at right now? Like, have I? I've been around that long. Like, you, you, you used to watch me when you were a kid. I'm like, man, I'm I'm turning into that guy. Well, I have to. Oh. I have to. Uh, you know, sometimes like I feel the same way. Sometimes where where I have to. I forget like how young someone I'm talking to is or like a wrestler I'm interviewing or whatever. And you know, like I had Nikita Lyons on the show recently and. She talked about how she was born in 1999, and when she said that, I feel like that was the reaction I had. My whole like face melted. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so old. And then I was talking to Braun Breaker, and I was like, oh, you know, what are your early memories of wrestling? And he was like, like WCW was out of business when I was five, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm so old now, (laughs) man. Dude, I was in college when WCW went out of business. I know. 1999, I was a senior in high school. The only time, the only time I ever skipped a class and literally just one class ever in high school was because raw raw tickets were going on sale in Orlando at the time, and they had, hadn't been to Orlando in ages. So I skipped fourth period. But man, just oh, blasting Hootie and the Blowfish all the way there. You know it. You know it. <laughs> Let her cry. I would have cried had I not got tickets for the show. <laughs> I remember my friend and I, we were we were at the tape because they were doing, I think, yeah, they, I think they were still taping Shotgun Saturday night um, as their secondary show uh, uh, before Raw. And my friend and I thought we were so cool. We'd like, we got like our little napkins from our concession stands. And every time we were on hard cam, we'd like, we'd wave them up in the air so we could watch it back and be like, ah, that was us with the napkin guys. <laughs> Little things that you get excited about. <laughs> <laughs> We're the napkin guys. And then uh, there was, uh, remember they had the Lucha show? Do you recall that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was, the Super Astros, uh, is that what it was called? Yeah. And so they would tape that. And um, what was his name? Uh, uh, the announcer? El Marengo. No, no, no. One of the one of the superstars. El Marengo, I think. Um, El, El Marengo. I think it was El Marengo. But anyway, I couldn't fit his whole name on my sign. <laughs> so... All I had was El Moren. <laughs> I was just hoping they'd be able to make out what my son was supposed to say. So I'm like, I'm a napkin guy. Go El Moren. Go El Moren. Every sign that I made as a kid, I always ran out of room near the end of it. So it'd get to the end of the sign and then it would just start to go down. Go, like, yeah, oh, this is a G. It's a G. <laughs> That just brought back so many memories of how terrible I was at making signs. And you and me was... both. You and me both. Well, I didn't make many signs because of that problem. Yeah, I did. Mine were always real, like, basic. It was like, Val Venus is my father, and you could fit that in the sign, you know, like, always. Uh, well, since you were such a big fan, like, it must have been intimidating to do NXT beside Jim Ross when it was starting. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Uh, because Jim had come down to visit us in FCW a couple of times, but actually working with him, you'd have to pinch yourself a couple of times. Um, but it was, it was a great learning experience. And, uh, and it was, you know, anytime you have a different partner, you're, you're adjusting. So in the case of Jim Ross, you're like, my goodness, I just, 
tell me what to do, sir. And I'll, you know, I'll do, you know, whatever you, whatever you need. But yeah, it's, it's even looking back on it. It's like, man, that, that really happened. Like I forget so much of this stuff because so much has happened in the last 14 years, but yeah, it was, it was incredible. Well, do you remember your first night on raw announcing? Uh, man. Um, I don't, uh, so I don't have specific memories about the first night. I do recall when I first, uh, got to be part of, uh, one of the main shows, which, cause I started on SmackDown. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I, I do recall like they had put out, uh, an announcement at the time I was at the Florida mall in Orlando sitting in the food court <laughs> and I'm reading the announcement online. All of a sudden I'm like getting heart palpitations. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just hope I don't mess up. Hope I do good. And to this day, I still like, I'm a nervous wreck before every show. Wait, um, so you didn't but, know uh, when you were reading online that you'd gotten the job already. I, I, I knew, I knew, but, you were worried like, that it was a prank phone call again? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's one thing when you're told, but it's only official when it's online, which is kind of funny to say. <laughs> but in this case, there's me. Uh, so, but in this case, yes, when I actually read the press release, I'm like, man, this is this is really going to happen. And I think to your point, it is because a lot of times, you know, um, I had been told I was going to have an opportunity, like the class of champions thing that didn't happen. Uh, I remember when ECW closed, I was told that I was going to be one of the hosts on NXT and then that didn't happen. <laughs> so, so um, I'm always like, Oh, let's, uh, you know, which a lot of people in our industry do, which I'm sure, you know, like they don't necessarily believe it until it actually happens when it actually happened. And then when I was actually on the air, it's like, Oh boy, this is real now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, I, I think that most people entertainment like until you're, doing it or it's airing you're like i'm not gonna tell anyone or talk about this and i'm just gonna hold it as close to the vest as possible because you never know what could change at the last second of course and then making the transition to raw the biggest thing for me is now you're going from a two-hour show to a three-hour show so you know you got to have some serious bladder control (laughs) and uh you know you got seriously you laugh but you got it you got to figure out how to pace yourself and i feel like i finally mastered that uh do you have like a time you won't drink after yes Yes. So uh, my last meal, my whole day is planned out. Uh, my last meal is at six o'clock. Um, ideally, my last uh, drip of water or any liquid, but I only drink water really, uh, is no later than 6.05. Um, now, I will have uh, a shot of uh, beet juice, uh, just powder mixed with water. I'll have that at about 6.50. But generally speaking, no serious uh, liquid intake after six oh five. What's the beet juice then, for? Just uh, for the so so as opposed to like you know having a five hour energy uh, energy uh, beet juice is, is more of a natural uh, energy boost for you. Helps with your mental clarity and your focus. So I, I love doing that uh, before the show. So there's no jitters. It's just a natural source of energy. Yeah. So some health advice for you. That seems like honestly being an announcer fear of you know talking for three hours or two hours aside the idea of like being restrained to that chair for three hours sounds tough for the the p reason for sure dude like i've always thought that yeah yeah and no lie i mean (laughs) they're asking any people who have been around me for the last so i'll go out because i do main event which is uh taped before monday night raw every week so i'm I'm out god so that's even longer yeah oh damn Yeah. yeah So between basically 7.10 and 7.25, I just like, unless something else is going on, I am camped out in the restroom. <laughs> and I, and I, it's literally, 
walked to the urinal, do something else, wash my hands. Two minutes later, back to the urinal. And I'm just like squeezing every ounce <laughs> out that I can because I'm so paranoid. And it's just, it's happened on occasion where you get out there and you're halfway through the show and you're like, you're doing like the pee dance, which looks more like Biggie's hip swivel in your chair. And they think I'm dancing. I'm really just trying to hold it in. You know, so I'm like, shoot, I got another hour to go. And I didn't plan on this happening. But yeah, I'm very particular about that. The proudest moment of my life since we're on this topic, it was my first WrestleMania. Uh, it was the first Mania, that, and it was in Dallas. That's long. And, um, That's real long. Yeah, it was long because not only did I have to do the Mania, I had to do the entire two-hour kickoff show. Oh, so every, man. So every match at WrestleMania plus everything going on during the kickoff show, I was out there for six hours. Six hours. Now, granted, uh, the cool thing about Mania is that when you're out there and we're in these huge stadiums, they know it's a long show. Um, like they typically, we typically spot out a restroom spot for us if we have to go. And so, you know, our, 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 our production assistants at ringside who are awesome. They're unbelievable. Um, they let us know, Hey, if you need to use the restroom, you know, go through that little bomb over there and, and take care of your business. Well, again, being my first WrestleMania, I'm like, I know it's there, but let me just power through. And so you're going through match after match. And you're like, okay, I'm good. And then, like, you start to feel it, but you go, oh, I only have, like, three more matches left to go. So I ended up surprisingly powering through for six hours without using the restroom. <sighs> so I, that was an accomplishment. Now, what happened afterwards, boy, the moment I, walked, well, I ran to the urinal, dude, and I'm sure you've been there. A lot of people out there have been there. If you've held it long enough and you finally get to that point, you can let it all out, man. I, I, I had what was supposed to come out, come out, but I also had tears, just <laughs> tears streaming down my face. And I'm almost paralyzed for like a minute and a half. It's my body is like, why did you do this? <laughs> but in a weird way, it's so relaxing just being able to experience that relief. After oh yeah. Cause it's hours. like, it's just like everything exiting your body, yeah. you know, like it's just like a full cleanse. Yeah. It's cathartic, like it, it, it just, just just to experience that. And I don't think I would encourage anybody to try it. Yeah, but, I was gonna say I don't think I I've mean, ever held my pee for that long. Like you just try, I, Ryan. Give it a shot. Just give it a shot. Because I get nervous even with an hour for this show. I'm the same way, dude. Like before, like you guys come on here, I'm like, I'll just go again, just to be safe. So I don't like I had like three coffees before I started. Just go, just to be safe, you know. And then once we uh. start. I always have that thought in the back of my mind, like, no, you don't really. You're just thinking about it because, you you know, <laughs> so I, I totally it's understand. So it's mental toughness. Like you always hear stories about the Navy SEALs and like the, the near death experiences they go through just in training alone. This could actually be very beneficial for you. You know, <laughs> if you go like you get to the studio, man, and, you know, you, you could do your coffee or whatever. And just don't go. <laughs> just don't, just go. don't go. Even if you if even if you get antsy, like right before the interview is about to start, don't go. Focus on the mind power. I'll just see if the I can mind. willpower my peas to stay in my body the whole time. Yes, yes, yes. I choose when you come out. I choose reverse, when you come out, urine. The, re the reverse urination process, okay? <laughs> so then once you're done, you head to that restroom and you feel like it's Christmas morning. You feel like it's your birthday. You feel like it's Easter Sunday. You feel like all of it is just there at once and it's the greatest feeling of your life because you held it.
It's like in Austin Powers when he's like, who does number two work for? You'll just be like, who does yeah. number one work for? Yes. <laughs> me. Me. Well, <laughs> we've reached the end of the show here, but I like to end. What? Well, wait we got, a minute. Wait, we wait, can't, wait. We can't end it on bathroom breaks? We're going to end it on the same topic that I, oh, there we are going to end it on a segment oh, I call the, the finishing move. Look at that. You like all these Ooh, fancy lights? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I'm get my strobe lights out now. <laughs> so, no, no. This is what we will end it on. We'll start Start off this by asking, what's your favorite finishing move to witness in person ringside? Uh, the favorite finishing move to witness, uh, we won't witness it anymore, unfortunately, but it was a tombstone. It's a good one. That's a good one. I, I like how they tossed the stone cold picture on there to taunt you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you didn't clarify favorite one to watch or feel. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, I feel like, man, but every time you see that he kind of grazed you down below when you watch that clip and you're like, oh, that looks painful. I tell you, had I not taken my 20 bathroom breaks before Raw, that would have been a little, a little messy, too. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> um, if you could go back in time and call a match for any famous WWE legend, who would it be and why? Oh, man. Oh, gosh. Um. I mean, I think it'd be anybody just from the era I grew up in. There's Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan. Um, I was, uh, uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake was actually my second favorite wrestler. <laughs> I, I just, I guess because my mom was a beautician, so he cut hair. So I guess there was a connection there. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have to like the flashiest choices, but uh, it just, yeah, it would have been cool just to kind of, um, you know, the Road Warriors, uh, Legion of Doom, Demolition, like just any of those larger than life characters, man. It would have been would have been pretty cool to, to call their matches. Uh, and lastly, what's the most memorable moment that you've had on commentary throughout your entire time in WWE? Huh, um, most memorable moment I've ever had on commentary. Uh, there's a couple up there, but I, I, I will say it was probably... Uh, Raw after WrestleMania, um, gosh, it was in Santa Clara, California. I think it was 2015, yep, I want to yep, say. Yep. And uh, I had to do uh, part of the show by myself. And at the time, I had, I had not been on Raw yet. Like, I was just doing the secondary shows. And um, the circumstances, you know, kind of developed the way they did. Brock Lesnar took out the entire announce team. And I didn't realize till literally a couple minutes before that I was going to be out there by myself. So, dude, like I'm thinking I'm on the biggest raw of the year. And at the time, like the table had been turned over. They couldn't set it up. So I'm literally sitting in the fetal position. So I'm like, <laughs> there's a moment there before we come back from break. And I go, what is this life? What is going on? I'm seated in the fetal position about to call matches on the biggest raw of the year by myself. <laughs> so that was you talk about nerve wracking man holy moly like good thing i was wearing dark pants but um but yeah that's that's most memorable just because of the nerves just because of the unexpected nature um and uh and, and just the aftermath of it it was i'll never forget that i know you only asked for one i'll give you two also uh colin kopi kingston's wwe title win at wrestlemania just because i known kopi for so long and that really was close to my heart and I, I felt as much joy as probably he did. So um, those are two very memorable moments for me on commentary. And I gave you two because I'm an overachiever, Ryan. <laughs> well, I prefer to have two because honestly, those are both great. I love it. The Kofi Kingston, when he won the title, is one of the coolest moments of recent memory. So that definitely makes sense. I had, I had, I was literally fighting back tears when Kofi won. 
Um, it's funny. I was fighting back tears when I was doing it all by myself, but those were just like fear tears. So <laughs> both sides of the coin, <laughs> both sides of the coin. They're both highly emotional for different reasons. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. It was great getting to chat with you. It was an honor. It was an honor. I'm a big fan of yours, a uh, big fan of what you do. So the fact that you wanted little old me to be on your show uh, makes me feel special. So thank you very much, Ryan. Well, thank and you. Congratulations on your engagement. It was Dave and Buster's, right? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Thank you. Life goals, life, my future wife, just so you know, you're out there somewhere. Dave and Buster's is where I'm going to propose to you because Ryan Satin did it. <laughs> wow. If you need uh, if you need to make the, the connection, I'll, I'll be sure to do that. I will. Give me some free tickets, too. Uh, <laughs> All right, well, have a good one, dude. All right, thanks, Ryan. (laughs) Later. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that was my conversation with Byron Saxon. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Definitely uh, got into some topics I was not expecting, but really, really good chat. Super fun guy. Uh, And yeah, good good stuff. Now let's get into the housekeeping here. I know you guys don't necessarily want to hear this, but I got to say it. Make sure that you go subscribe to Out of Character on whatever podcast platform that you are listening on. If you're listening to podcasts on Apple, Apple, uh, if you're listening to it on Spotify, make sure that you go subscribe to the podcast on there. I know if you're just watching the video version of this show right now, your phone is within an arm's reach. So pick it up and go subscribe to the podcast as well. Then you can listen while you're driving, working out, washing dishes, wherever you can listen to all of these conversations. You can go back and binge the ones you haven't listened to there too, and you don't have to look at your phone the whole time. Now, if you're already on your phone, if you're listening to the audio version of this show, make sure that you also do the do the other side of this. Go subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find clips from Raw and SmackDown every week, and this show every Monday premiering at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Clips from this show air on there as well. It's the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. Go subscribe and also go follow WWE on Fox on all the different social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We're there. Go follow us. All right, that's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin and this is Out of Character.